Hello everyone, this is Tech in EdTech. In this podcast, we discuss technology that powers education and improves learning for all. Welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Ritesh Chopra from Magic EdTech. And our guest for today's podcast is Duria Aziz, Senior Vice President of Education Publishing at Scholastic. Duria, thanks for joining me and welcome to today's show. Thank you, Ritesh. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a pleasure hosting you here. And uh, Duria, to kind of begin with, uh, we'd like to understand a bit of your background and your journey into EdTech. Uh, if you could start with that, uh, and then we can deep into the topic. Right. Um, so I'm Senior Vice President for Education at uh, Scholastics International Business. Uh, in this capacity, I partner with all of Scholastics uh, regional businesses outside of the U.S., to research and identify opportunities in education and develop the suite of products and services uh, and provide the implementation and marketing support. In short, the entire customer journey and product lifecycle. I wake up in the morning thinking about how to better support uh, children and teachers in diverse parts of the world in their, le- in their learning journey. It's a good reason to go to work, I think. Uh, when um, So when I set up International Education for Scholastic, I did so with three questions in mind. How do we provide access to eff- effective pedagogy and instructional excellence to all teachers and learners around the world? How can we best use technology for this? And how can we evaluate learning such that it continually informs the learning and teaching process so that it creates a virtuous loop? To me, these are not just idealistic goals. This is the need of the hour, and it also is the business opportunity. Absolutely. I think I kind of completely second your viewpoint here. And I think it's a larger contribution to the community at large. And how do we bridge that education gap? Uh, so absolutely. Kind of uh, quite, quite happy to kind of see that and hear that from you, uh, Duria. And Duryo, before we go into and transition into the topic, I'd like to kind of understand and lay out that, hey, we've seen, uh, especially after the vestiges of COVID is now finally fading away, we've seen a lot of investment being fueled into the tech space. And now after that stabilization, uh, at least the trend that we're seeing is that the tech space has plateaued a little, little this year. And the competition is uh, in the space uh, is 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 pretty fierce. So during how do you what are your tips based on your wealth of experience uh, and the knowledge that you bring in? What are the uh, points that you see? How do you survive the crucial period? What message do you have for the education providers to do next for this phase? Um, so we know that the world is learning at an unprecedented rate. But education also faced a massive unprecedented setback in the form of the pandemic. Some research points to learning loss of at least one third or half a year for uh, for students in different parts of the world. As providers within the education ecosystem, we must continue to focus on the processes that sustain the ecosystem of learning. Today, we have the great benefit of technology to have this energy flow at the most granular level of each teacher for each student in each lesson throughout, uh, through the ability to customize and personalize learning. The, I believe that this is where we should continue to focus based on what data tells us about student and teacher behavior and the underlying factors. True, absolutely. Um, kind of echo and resonate uh, what you said. Uh, in fact, 
even in Magic Ed Tech with our customers that we work with, we are seeing a lot of uh, work around diversity, equity, and inclusion on sustainability. And uh, I think those are uh, the new trends that we are seeing. And I think as Magic, uh, we can completely relate to what you just said, uh, Julia. Thanks for that again. And uh, if I can transition now to more on the adoption side, see, uh, the adoption that we see, especially for the US-based market and the non-US-based market, uh, as, a, as a publisher and based on where you are, Julia, I'd like to understand what yardstick does a publisher have to kind of measure uh, quantify the success of a product beyond uh, beyond adoption, and what insights uh, as a publisher you could uh, you could give to kind of peek into that planning when you kind of design a product for adoption. Mm. Well, you really have to take it on a market by market, country by country uh, basis. There is no one size fits all uh, in education, particularly in the US. You have size and scale. There are also available funds. However, it is a complex and expensive process, right? I mean, I I remember uh, it, when I was working in the uh, for for the U.S. market, uh, we had submitted a product for adoption in California, and uh, most people told me that we wouldn't succeed. <laughs> they were very doubtful of our success, um, but we did succeed. Because there was a real need for an effective ma- uh, math program, and the one that we had was proven and it was different. While others were adding bells and whistles to an existing product, we challenged those assumptions and changed the underlying principles with better solutions. So, likewise, in other markets also, you have to understand the composition of the markets and then the segments available for you to participate in. Then it also depends on who is paying. Is the school adopting and paying or is the cost being passed on to parents? Curriculum alignment is a significant factor in approval. Of course, schools will want to know that the solution that you are offering them uh, will get them to where they need to go in terms of learning outcomes. You also need to understand the context of use. You know, for example, what is the class size? Something that works for a class size of eight will not work in a class size of 40, right? So that's something that you also have to understand. You have to understand the level of teacher competence in the pedagogy that you are proposing. Are they even aware of it? Is it going to be something alien? Then you have to factor in the education of teachers and the fact that you have to convince them to adopt something that is very new. And most of all, you have to be clear in understanding and communicating what problem does this solve for the teacher and learner and how is it better than the competition. The best yardstick for me, of course, is learning outcomes. Did learning happen? How? And with technology, these are all hard facts that can be supported by data. Great. I think very well uh, uh, shared those points, Julia. Uh, thanks for that. And in fact, I kind of agree that we have seen rather than having a generic blanket approach, I think it's important because each of the geography have nuances uh, and each one of us are different in terms of how we are taught, how we kind of absorb information and learn. So it's important for us to be adaptive uh, to, to each geography. And do you also see a kind of a relevant topic there, Julia? Uh, uh, do you also see a relevance with respect to, say, K-12 versus higher ed versus continuous education that we're seeing, uh, those trends? And, and and if I can talk a relevant question there, uh, in your career, I'm sure you must have had a lot of uh, ed tech products take off. What would you say are the common denominators, success denominators for those successful products? 
Ah, now you're asking for my secret sauce. <laughs> so actually, to me, it seems more like common sense, to be honest. In edtech, education comes before technology for a very good reason. And we should never forget that. Education is the objective and technology is the enabler. For me, what has worked has been focused on pedagogical innovations. Where do these innovations come from? They come from observing great teachers and novice teachers at work. What do they do well? How do they solve the problems that they face? How can we make these solutions available to all teachers through instructional design and technology? What are the struggles of novice teachers? How can we support them? And so on. Likewise with learners, right? What do they struggle with? What do successful learners do? So design thinking and co-designing with stakeholders are a very significant part of my business and product development process. And that's what I would encourage you know, all developers as well as uh, business uh, stakeholders to consider. No, absolutely. I kind of, uh, thanks for those. Uh, I think I like the point where you made that technology is more like an enabler, especially with the ed tech boom. We've seen a lot of tech, but I think uh, the education is missing in that tech. I think it's important to see and perceive uh, technology, like you said, more like an enabler than like doing everything from a technology standpoint. And I think it's the content and the pedagogy and how do we see uh, that leveraging the right technology? How do you amplify that content and make the learning more effective uh, for our learners, for students and for teachers? So very, very, very lightly said, um, Doria, kind of liked what you said. And um, uh, if I can move on to the next uh, point here, um, what we have seen, uh, I think, see, there has been a change, significant change in uh, and I often uh, talk about that, that pandemic has really worked like a catalyst to us, right? What was working till 2020, I think we've seen a lot of those things, especially in the pandemic, people have accelerated the digital uh, push in this entire industry has really accelerated because of the pandemic. And if education publishers are used to doing things in one way, especially the big, big traditional publishing companies, how should they be more mindful to change uh, when they're looking ahead and planning for the future, especially around digital disruption? How do you see all that coming into fold when they're actually planning for the future? Well, through all of this, I think uh, what is most important is learner focus and motivation, especially because of the disruptions that, uh, uh, that we are seeing. Uh, we have to look at learners not just as receptacles to be filled but we have to look at them as, you know, holistically, as human beings completely in terms of their social, emotional well-being, which also has a huge impact on their learning. So whether it is math or it's reading, it, is, it isn't just about fractions or about number of words read. But what is the mindset and attitude of the learner uh, that they are bringing to this learning episode? And how does your solution impact it? Those are the things that we should be thinking about today. Got it. Great insights there, uh, Doria. And uh, how do you see the curriculum market evolving uh, outside US? We've seen a lot of these new age edtech companies uh, kind of hitting the space. Uh, and these are a traditional, uh, kind of challenging the traditional methods of mm. B2C and they're more B2B space. Uh, how do you see that market B2B? And for someone like you, Scholastic, which is, I think, is more uh, B2B, how do you see you creating those strategies? Uh, what it mean for strategizing a learning product? What it mean? Uh, because in a, in a B2B space, 
you are more selling to a teacher or a school but in a b2c it's more uh, to a parent or to a school do you see any change in the strategy for these two different kind of products and how are you seeing uh, the b2b space emerging in your territory durya right it's very encouraging and exciting to see investor confidence in edtech as we have witnessed from the many startups and their funding however i think that the focus needs to shift from customer acquisition to customer satisfaction as evidence from usage and achievement of learning outcomes this will not happen overnight so i think that after an initial hot period there will likely be some consolidation and rationalization also as knowledge and skill sets in edtech develop we will see the impact on the solutions one effect that the pandemic has had has been that parents have begun to understand and appreciate the role of technology in learning so previously while they might just be seeing their kids you know watching cartoons or videos etc now they can really appreciate the uh, the role of technology in learning and so they have become enablers so we will see parental participation in edtech purchase increase where they are the decision makers as well as the purchasers so from this perspective uh you are no longer p- uh, propositioning a learning expert but a lay person also pedagogy has changed from the time parents were in school so this will impact the choices you make in product design um and as well as your go to market plan right i mean like uh if you're teaching a new way of multiplication tables where parents will say this is not how we learn times tables so you'll have to uh in the same way that you have to bring teachers along with you you have to bring parents along with you and they are a much more diverse group and you have to take that into consideration as well no i think it's a good point i think we've seen uh, at least i've been in the industry for almost like 20 odd years now i've seen pedagogy especially the work and the experiences uh that we are building today are more around uh, gamification or ar vr mm. how do you make education more friendly for today's age for digital natives so that they see a seamless uh, learning uh, of of and on a device of their own choice rather than probably uh, taking a 300 page static book and learning out of it so yeah. very valid point uh, durya and and uh, before we kind of talk about um, uh, as an understanding your 2 uh, 3 years uh, looking at the crystal ball i would like to understand uh, what percentage of a digital uh, out of the market landscape that you have uh, is your market today your addressable market mm. and what suggestions do you have and what key takeaways do you have for someone who is kind of building those digital products based on the user personas and the trends that you're seeing in the market I think again it varies from market to market. It used to be that in some markets the book was the only technology, right? But that's no longer the case. Today at a minimum there might be a projection technology available or at least you can assume that the teacher has a mobile phone through which she is accessing content, right? Um broadband access is also increasingly prevalent making online solutions accessible. Uh this significantly lowers costs overall. cost of development cost of implementation cost of maintenance and so on um for example in the philippines we had to offer offline solutions or land based solutions to our schools about 5 years ago today 100% of these schools are online so that has made a big difference in the kind of offerings it also makes a big difference in what benefits we can deliver uh like you can get deliver real time 
data, you can deliver real-time insights and so on. Of course, this is not the case everywhere, but it is certainly becoming increasingly prevalent. And this has been one of the better side effects of the pandemic, I think. Great. Um, now, now, let's talk about the crystal ball. If you, could, uh, if you have a crystal ball based on your experience, Duryea, what emerging trends do you see emerging out of the Asian market for uh, which will go mainstream in the next two years? Right. I think uh, there's a few things, really. One, that both parents and teachers will become more data literate uh, and they will use data to understand their stu- students, children and improve learning outcomes. AI will become more prevalent in all aspects of learning uh, and from predicting learning outcomes and learning trajectory to suggesting learning pathways for each individual student. Students, I think, will become more visible and participative in the learning process and also in the development of these learning uh, tools as they begin to learn coding and program, you know, as they become more fluent in coding and programming skills. Um, And users will begin to choose learning platforms rather than learning products and programs. Um, So really, I'm looking at the platformization where you can, you know, different uh, uh, products will be talking to each other. You're not going to have to look at singular dashboards and go from dashboard to dashboard, but there'll be a free flow of data so that you'll have a composite picture of uh, student learning. And edtech, I think, will become more service-based rather than product-based. And that goes beyond just uh, SaaS. You know, I mean, we talk about software as a service, but that is still uh, a very, it is fast becoming a dated concept, but we have to go beyond that so that edtech really becomes more service-oriented. So a lot of uh, real-time services that are linked to technology will begin to be offered. So that's what I think. That's what my crystal ball says. (laughs) No, great. I think I um, absolutely some good insights over there, uh, Drea. Thanks for that. And I kind of uh, relate to it because we're seeing a lot of work around learning analytics because when everything is digital, and you rightly mentioned that when everything goes digital, it's important to understand uh, the the data. Okay, how do we capture the right data? We're seeing data everywhere. Now, why don't we capture data even in the learning environment to kind of find out how does a student read? What is the need on a personalized basis? More like an adaptive experience for that. And that's where, as you mentioned about use of AI and use of data analytics kind of comes in really handy. So absolutely with you. Thanks for those insights, Duria. And uh, lastly, Duria, what advice do you have for, uh, for those developing and implementing learning programs and products uh, based on your wealth of experience? I think that will be something that our audience would be would be very keen to hear from you. My advice is actually quite simple. It's keep learning. Uh, keep learning from your users, from your teachers, learners, parents. Give them a voice and involve them in the design and development process. Always keep your user personas in mind and keep learning from data. You know, the usage, engagement, efficacy data throughout the customer journey. Don't just focus on one part, but right from uh, you know, exploration all the way to retention and advocacy. Look at your customers and learn from them and keep learning from research. What does a research, you know, uh, pedagogical research tell you about how kids are learning, how teachers are, what are the effective practices and all, uh, and, and so and so forth. I think those of us in the learning business have to be learners first and foremost. And then 
Remember that those of us in education are optimists. We believe that the future is better and brighter, that we want to create a better and more equitable world. And education is the way to create it. And we have a role to play in it. Absolutely. Very well said, Jory. I think education uh, is a great equalizer, I think, which is important. And I think that's one motivation uh, which we think all have as educators to kind of create that balance uh, and then fill in those gaps that we have in this world using yeah. education. And thanks, Doria. I really appreciate it. It was a delight talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me today for the latest Tech in Ed Tech podcast. We appreciate your insights. And uh, as always, look forward to you and our audience joining us in the future podcast. Have a great day, Doria. Thank you. Thank you, Ritesh. Thank you. Thank you.